to thank everybody for all the nice emails. I've been getting a bunch of them lately, a whole bunch, and it's nice. I want you guys to know I read every one of them, and when you guys say nice things, I forward them on to Amy, and then she reads them and feel good about the world. This is something I do in solitude. You know, I'm always in a living room by myself or in a hotel room putting these together. And while I'm doing it, I don't really think about the people who are listening on the other end. So I really appreciate you guys sending me those messages and saying hi at shows. But one message that I keep getting is that I need to plug my social media stuff more. And I never plug that on here. I'm not really sure why. I don't really do this to plug things. But I guess I should say I'm on Facebook. If you want to come and join me and say hi, it's uh, Otis Gibbs Music. It's one of those band type pages. There are other pages, Facebook with my name on it, but they're not me, or I don't use them anymore. So Otis Gibbs Music. I spend more time on Twitter. I go in spurts when I'm on tour. I try to let you guys know what's going on during the day on there. You can find me at Otis Gibbs. And if you like seeing some photos from my tours, and uh, just around Nashville or whatever, me hanging out with people, mostly me petting cats and dogs and goats and things like that. You can go to Instagram, search me out, Otis Gibbs on there. So if you're into any of that stuff, just be sure and follow me and say hi, and I'll do my best to be a good friend. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal, this is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's a creative individual and the person experiencing it. Everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Don Schlitz. Don is a singer and a songwriter, and you might know him from writing great songs like The Gambler, Forever and Ever Amen, On the Other Hand, He Thinks He'll Keep Her, A 40-Hour Week for a Living, and a ton of other great songs. You can find out everything you need to know about Don at donschlitz.com. If you missed part one with Don, I recommend you go back and listen right now. It was a very popular episode, and Don told a story leaving North Carolina, coming to Nashville on a Greyhound bus and not knowing anybody, and then riding the gambler and having everything change. A wonderful episode, so you should probably go back and listen to that right now. Don was nice enough to come over to my living room, and we sat and chatted for quite a while and had a really good time. And he's a big Duke basketball fan. And since Duke just won the national championship, he's having a pretty good time with that. But I'd asked him, since he's a Duke fan, where he was when Christian Leitner hits that shot to beat Kentucky way back when. And he said that he was watching it on TV with Randy Travis on a tour bus going through Kentucky at the time. And I honestly can't think of a better answer to that question than what he gave right there. So here's part two. Don Schlitz. 
that's a, see, there's a key. Why did you want to do this? Why did I want to do this? I don't know for you. For me, this starts back in junior high. I wanted to find out what happened backstage. You know, and I guess I thought that meant you had to be out front. I was, as as many of us were, the class clown. And always, you know, we'd have a, a, a thought that we really needed to express at an inappropriate time. I saw a, a tweet the other day that said relationships are, relationships are, consists of apologizing for things you said that were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and that, that's, you know, uh, I was a class clown and I wanted, but I wanted to find out, you know, what happened in Dick Van Dyke's writing room on the, on the show with, you know, Mari Amsterdam and, uh, Rosemary and, and that was that was exciting to me. That was a life. I didn't really have an idea that you could make money at any of this. I didn't really have an idea that they would they would give you uh, awards for doing any of this. That we're I mean we're the most self congratulatory business in the world. And so, <laughs> okay. After a while, that's not the fun part of it. The fun part is the creation. The fun part is finding out. The backstage can be really boring. So, Stacy, uh, to give you background on why that that works, because I wanted to tell this story. She uh, went to the University of Texas. She's from Larry, Ohio, so of course she went to the University of Texas, and she's uh, studied composition, uh, music composition, and she's a fabulous pianist and vocalist. And then she played uh, in bands, and fronted bands in Austin for a couple of years and played what is called world music. I don't even know what that is. Uh, then she came to Nashville. She actually worked at the Bluebird. I didn't, I didn't know her when she worked at the Bluebird. She didn't work my nights. Uh, she worked at BMI, and uh, she was writing songs. And, and by this time, because when I got here, people wrote by themselves. And by the time Stace got here, people were co-writing. And you had to co-write. Everybody was co-writing with somebody, and that... Who you were co-writing with really mattered, evidently. And she was getting starting to get some good co-writes, and had been at it for a few years, and uh, was starting to play and 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 write songs and work her two jobs at the same time. And and, and I think her turning point in her life was when she had this really good co-write she was looking forward to, and she got there, and the the person across the table from her said. What we need to do today is write an attitude song for Martina. And I think Stacy says a light bulb went off in her head. She thought to herself, what I need to do today is get out of here and go back to law school. (laughs) So she went to law school in New York, and then she went to Georgetown, and then she ended up working for some firms, ended up back here, and we met at a baseball game. Sitting next to this woman, by accident, some friends had, mutual friends, it wasn't a setup. They just had extra tickets to the ball game. There were about 10 of us that went. So Stacy and I ended up sitting next to each other, and I'm showing her pictures of my, my kids. And uh, I guess she was thinking I was funny, and she knew baseball. She knew the infield fly rule, right? <laughs> and after a while, I realized I'm not holding my stomach in. And when you're uh, able to relax like that, and then the sounds win. It was a Nashville Sounds game. We beat Memphis 7-5. And the lights went out, and there were fireworks. And I'm like, okay, God, there you go. All right, I get it. But what I didn't know, and, and after that, I asked her out for, for coffee, and you, you want a topic for discussion, you know, on a coffee date. And I said to discuss things that 
I thought were overrated. And it turns out that everything she thought was overrated, my favorite stuff. <laughs> everything I thought was overrated, her favorite stuff. <laughs> Not only that, I, I said, you know, we got at one point I said, well, I kind of, I kind of mumble. And she said, well, I have a little hard of hearing. I, she said, so this is going to work out fine. <laughs> and it did. I remember uh, having breakfast with and introducing her to a couple of friends of mine, to Vince Gill and Amy Grant, who are, are, who are dear friends. And uh, they were kind of operating as wingmen for uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. And they were, Amy said, she really liked Stacy. And that's the second sign. You know, you get a sign from God that fireworks are happening when you meet someone, and then God sends Amy Grant to tell you she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, a little less obvious, God. I can handle subtlety here once in a while. You know, I, I know I'm a two verse and a chorus guy, but come on, <laughs> let's throw a bridge in here or something. This is my publicity tour. <laughs> this is it. This is all I'm doing. One, one stop. You're apologizing? No, this is great. You know, wait till I tell my agent about this. Wait till I get an agent. <laughs> Do you have an agent? Can I borrow your agent? This might be the big break you've been waiting for. I, and well, waiting is the operative word, and it's the hardest part. You know, that great philosopher, Mr. Petty, said. So, uh, yeah, I can, I can deal with this. Hey, look, you know, it's... It, Favorite passages from the Old Testament has to, for me, has to be you know, almost everything in Ecclesiastes. And it's just to start with vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And it is. And it is going back to writer's nights and thinking about how'd I do, how'd I do, what, am I going, what three songs I'm going to play next week. Or like, you know, when you're sitting in that, that horrible in the round situation uh, that, I mean, Fred Noblock and I came up with that and, 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 and pulled Tom Schuyler and, and Paul Overstreet into sitting in the middle of the room and doing that. And Fred and I were drinking margaritas one night, just wanted to find a different way to to, to play. And Amy Curlin let us do that at the Bluebird. Uh, so when we did in the round. That was the start of that? Yeah, that was the start of that. Yeah. Oh. So we, we did it. We were the only people doing it for a few years. So I don't, I don't do it anymore. Very seldom. I'll do it for benefits once in a great while. And I, I love Tom and Fred and, and Jelly Roll. Uh, and they stay. Uh, still uh, play the Bluebird once a month in, in the round with Tony Arata. And wow, what a you know great songwriter and, and pal Tony is. Uh, so, But I stand up by myself because I, I, I couldn't wait three songs to play another song. I, I, uh, we'd done that a long time. We did it for 25 years. And I decided, you know, I love these guys, but I like standing up and... and uh, and really fall. I want to fall flat on my face. Stand up and take it like a man. Well, I want to. I, I I've got like eight new songs I want to play this time, and I know there's about three or four that I really have to play, and I'm probably going to get people to ask me to play three or four others, and that would take up a whole night. So I can do that now and still play eight new songs, and then have a reason to write, because you know, quite frankly, from when I got here, the artist, <laughs> and that was in big quotes. The singer that I've been writing songs for is me, you know. So, not expecting that anything's going to happen, other than I was going to be, you know, able to. I never dreamed there'd be a place like the Bluebird, uh, that was like you know, the Gaslight or or the Bitter End or whatever. Uh, that we'd have that here in Nashville, and we do. We have a lot of that now, uh, and 
I just don't ever want to wait three songs to play another song and sit there and think about, oh, what key is he playing that in? I've got oh, that's a ballad. I've got to play an up tempo, or you know, wait a minute, he's playing a funny song. I was going to play a funny song next, or you know, an awful lot of songwriters now, aren't there? An awful <laughs> lot of people that look like songwriters, and an awful lot of people that 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 it happens real fast that they reach the point where they're going out and they don't get a chance to 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 go off and fail a lot. The most important question of all, uh-huh. When did you find out about the Muppet show? Oh, I I not not when it was on, not until later. Uh I think the first time I saw, I think I saw it on um YouTube or something. That might be the only time that a, a Muppet died on on an really? episode. Was oh. when the gambler broke even. I can't think of another time unless Beaker exploding. Beaker explodes but, a lot. But he always comes back. Well it's a, you know he's got a contract. <laughs> the uh the the now there's an interesting question that you have that I have with uh, uh issues with my wife about because she always says, Well he dies, right? He dies, right? He dies, right? And they're like, I don't have any idea. There's your Guy de Maupassant ending. And that's the only French I know, by the way. I can say Guy de Maupassant from now until eternity. But uh, it, I, I don't know. Well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I was going to give you my entire theory about writing songs. If anybody asks me, what advice I give? Take a small idea. You make it smaller. You make it so small that you can walk all the way around it. And you walk all the way around it a lot of times. And you'll notice that that small idea takes on a life, and you have 360 windows, 360 degrees, you have a window that you can look at that idea from, from all those different, through all those different windows. Because there's only six ideas, you know. Six movies, six books, six subjects for song, six things that happen to you any given time that are worth writing about or hearing about. So you look through all those windows. Now what's interesting is those windows have all been written. All of them, every one of them, and well. But in between every two windows, there's an infinite number of cracks. And they're just big enough for you to turn your head and look through those cracks and see that idea again. And when you find that crack which is uniquely yours, that knot hole, that, that place for you to view that idea that is uniquely yours, then, then study it. And you can study it really fast and report on it. Report it from your point of view and give your point of view honestly and talk about the people that are involved in, in that idea. What action is going on? What's the furniture? How long does it take? You know, if it takes seven minutes, you probably have too much of an idea there. But, you know, tell the little bitty stories. One of the best things I ever read about writing country songs, writing any songs at all, was by Oscar Hammerstein II, his book called Lyrics. And, and it's a collection of his lyrics from his shows of the, the Rogers Hammerstein shows that are so familiar and so basic to, to, uh, to American music. But there's a 50-page essay that he wrote at the start about his lyric writing. You know that, that, that in, in 
the theater, unless you're a Cole Porter or um, Irving Berlin or a solo writer, what was going on was the, uh, the music person was writing the music first. And then the librettist, uh, the, the author, would write the words to fit the music. There came a time when Hammerstein, who was a terrific musician too, he wrote an opera, went to Richard Rogers and said, let me try something. We, we want to do this, this, this piece, this play. We want to adapt this play. I've wanted to do it for a long time. Let me write the words first, and then I'll hand them to you. And he would go and he'd write the songs. And he said he'd take two weeks on a lyric, you know, and he'd write them to his, his work melody. I know, I know personally for me, I use work melodies and they just become something else the longer I've had them. And, and, and he said he would write this lyric and he'd hand it to Richard Rogers and Richard Rogers would go away for 20 minutes, come back with the melody he could have never written. You know, something totally different that he heard once he saw the words and wrote it. The show was Oklahoma. Yeah, it changed everything. It changed everything. And, and for me, when people say, do words or music comes first? Well, they come at the same time. Uh, and, and the older I get, the more I'm getting back to writing by myself and enjoying it more and more uh, and trying to write more by myself. Because I think we're, we're getting away from having a singular voice coming in a lot of songs. And, and when you wonder why a song doesn't speak to you, maybe it didn't come from a singular voice, from one head that was creaked just a certain way to look at that idea and give that one point of view. And when you get hit by a homogenized, a generic point of view, that's what you get. You get something that's homogenized and generic. And that's okay. We need a lot of that because we need background music to keep us from listening too hard and not getting our work done, I guess. You need wallpaper so the so Ode to Billy Joe will stand out. But Ode to Billy Joe could not have been written by more than one person, I don't think. That's what I would, you know, basically I would have stopped about three minutes ago on what I would tell any songwriter who wants to, who says, you got any advice? I say, yeah. yeah. It's interesting with that question. I think people are typically asking uh, a business question, but when they should be thinking a, a writing question. Or if you want to write songs for money, forget it. If you want to write songs for fame, forget it. You know, this cannot, the only reason to do this is if you have no choice. You know, this is what you do. This is your way of expressing yourself, and you enjoy doing it. If you don't have fun doing this, get out. There's much you know? easier ways to make money also if you want to make money. And it's, it's just taking up space and time, and it's like you use your space and your time, and you only get one of these folks. You know, you get 70 years, and guess what? By the time you're a certain age, they're not going to want you to write in songs for, for 20-year-olds anyway because you're going to move on. And people my age don't buy records much. Having said that, buy my record. <laughs> oh, Randy Travis, what a, what a sweet man. Uh, really, when uh, Paul Overstreet and I wrote On the Other Hand, and we were writing another song when we were uh, when that idea came up, and that uh, idea actually happened. Paul and I were hitting a little bit of a, a, a good streak, uh, and writing. Paul's very country, very Mississippi, and in in a lot of ways, I think I've said he's uh, kind of a Brian Wilson abilities of as far as putting vocals on top of vocals and harmonizing and uh, with with melodies. And we were in the middle of writing a song. 
and got into a, a small you know a debate about a certain line and one of us said and i don't remember which one of us said well on the other hand the other one said there's a golden man and the other one said to remind me of someone who would not have, and we were done just like that and we both looked at each other and we knew we had grabbed hold of a conversation that rhymed and metered and we knew what it was about uh and we knew we had a song that was perfect for george jones or merle haggard uh paul had had a big hit on george jones called same old me which he wrote by himself and great song i had another friend in cadillac holmes who always said that that song should be the state song in tennessee he could see the entire uh, Nayland Stadium standing there singing, I'm just the same old me. Uh, and it's just, and you know, I think there's some validity there in my, in my point of view. So we uh, did a little demo, Paul singing, playing guitar, and that's just, you know, as about as simple as you can uh, ever imagine a, a work tape being, typical McDill style. And Pat Higdon came to us and said that, well, you know, George had passed or Merle had passed. And, but Kyle Lenning had this singer named Randy Trawick. We're going like, uh, I'm going like, okay. I think it didn't sit that well with Paul. Uh, but they got over it. And then, of course, Paul ends up getting four songs on the Storms of Life out in the first album. So Paul, obviously, you know, uh, and Randy struck a chord, if you will. And uh, Randy and I became... Good friends, I, I like to think. Uh, Paul and I wrote Forever and Ever Amen for uh, Randy and Deeper in the Holler, which was, that was more Paul than me. I got to admit that we were about three-fourths of the way through writing that song. I had to look at Paul and said, Paul, what's a holler? And so, I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a city boy from Durham, right? I rode my bike around town, but yeah. Paul was from Mississippi. He explained it to me. and Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. It's Loretta Lynn stuff. Okay. I've studied, but I guess I was th overthinking that. Uh, and so, I mean, so, but I would go out and write with Randy uh, at his, his farm. We'd have a, a great time writing. We wrote Heroes and Friends. We wrote a song called Oh, What a Time to Be Me that uh, he sang on Matlock, I think. Uh, but Randy was just a good-hearted, good man. Yeah, we laughed a lot. We're both from North Carolina. Uh, I think that we culturally had, had a lot in, in common as far as our uh, some of the things we could talk about. And, and because of him, I had an uh, opportunity to meet Roy Rogers, for heaven's sakes. You know, dude. Uh, what that was, was that like? Well, that was, that was amazing. Well, he was friends with Roy Rogers, and uh, Roy had come over and shot pool with them. And uh, I'd written a song. I think they had hung out. And, but I met Roy at a, before a CMA show. And, you know, I, I just love a CMA show. So, <laughs> but at the, at the, the thing before we went in and Roy sidled up to me, had his hat on, looked just like Roy Rogers, you know. And he'd written a song called, uh, I think it's called Everybody's Gone But Me and Trigger triggering me or whatever and he sang the whole song in my ear and you know when you're standing there going like this is roy rogers you know it's it's uh it's like you know you think you know these people a lot better they're they're very busy people they work they know the people they're on the road with uh 
it's a tell about Kenny Rogers. I've probably been around five or six times. I've never, we've never sat and had a long dinner and discussed philosophies of the world, whatever. I really respect him. He knows things. He doesn't use a, uh, I always have to have words in front of me. I cannot memorize a song to save my life. The one song that I've memorized is Gambler. I know that song. Other than that, I've always got my, I've got, you know, Forever and Ever in front of me. I've got, I feel lucky in front of me. I've got, when you say that, I don't know, and much less the new ones. A lot of times I'll get the new ones faster than I'll get the songs that, that the person who's sitting five feet away from me will be mouthing all the words to. Uh, but Kenny doesn't use any of that stuff. Uh, he's, he's, he's got like, you know, five or six decades worth of, of lyrics in his head. Man is very smart, very smart uh, businessman. But he also, I think, takes it seriously. Uh, and, and and I admire the fact that he's still still working. Because um, he he's, not, he's not doing this for money or fame. You know, Vince Gill and I were standing, listening to him get an award. Can he get an award? And we had played, I'd played the game before, and Kenny and Vince had sung Sweet Music Man. And uh, Kenny was talking about a discussion he'd had with a, a psychiatrist. He didn't not say my psychiatrist, but a psychiatrist, about why he was still working. He said, well, the time had come to do, do uh, to, to sing songs that of, of import, that, that mattered you know, to him. And when he said that, I got this elbow in my side, Vince Gill, you know, it's like elbowing inside, basically saying, that's what we're supposed to do now. That's what we're supposed to do now. And I think that is what we're supposed to do now. You know, Vince is a, a dear friend. We've never had a hit. We've written a bunch of songs. We've never had a hit. But uh, to watch what he does as far as in uh, producing and helping everybody out and passing it on, the, the rock that he's been for the so-called commercial country music community. I've been very lucky with, from the first days over on 17th Avenue, those guys, and then knowing Tom Schuyler and Fred Noblock and Craig Bickhart, Jelly Roll, Johnson, the world's greatest harmonica player, truly. You ought to get him an interview. That'd be a, I'd love to hear him talk. Never heard him talk. I've known him, <laughs> known him, known him for 20 years now. <laughs> I always suspected he could, but you know, the harmonica union is so strong that if they start talking, you got to pay them a lot. <laughs> we can't really afford that. We can, we can hardly afford it when he just nods at it. I appreciate you coming over. and uh... You just want to cut me off, don't you? You know, I, 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 this, is like, this is kind of like, a, a, you know, a, been building up, I guess, and I've really... Normally, what you're doing now is what my psychiatrist does. <laughs> well, well, I see we're out of time. When do you want to do this again? Okay, well. And how do you, how like, do you, and how do you feel about that? I don't know. Well, I'm not writing you a check. <laughs> but, you know. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Don for coming over to my living room and recording this. You can find out everything you need to know about Don at donschlitz.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records. 
you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.